he went as like nine years old to his grandparents' house in Nebraska, I believe it was. And it was Christmas time. It was Christmas break. So the family goes to Nebraska for Christmas break. Grandma and grandpa are there. And little boy asked grandma and grandpa, little boy is older now, but when he was little, he said, I want to go out and play in the snow. And grandpa said, no, you can't go out and play in the snow. Just like that, kind of matter of fact, like that'll, that'll do it, that'll squelch it. Uh, he comes back a few minutes later, determined, like, I want to go play in the snow, grandpa. And grandpa says, no, you can't play in the snow. And he's thinking in his mind, like, why? Because that's the next question coming from a little kid's mouth. And he says, uh, because there's snow snakes in the snow. So you can't go play in the snow. And the kid's like, snow snakes? I mean, he's like eight, but he's, snow snakes? Really? Snow snakes? And the grandpa says, yeah, snow snakes. And the little kid says, do these snow snakes bite? And grandpa goes, you know, freewheeling here. He's like, uh, no, they don't bite, but they like crawl up your leg and jump up your butt and freeze you from the inside out. <laughs> and little kids like traumatized. And he did not go and play in the snow. Uh, then he gets back home to the glorious West Coast and he goes to school the next Monday, and the teacher is like, how did it, was everybody's Christmas vacation? Was it fun? Was it nice? What'd you do? What'd you do? Little boy, what did you do? And he goes, well, I went to Nebraska. And she says, well, it must have been cold in Nebraska. Yeah, it was cold. There was a lot of snow. And she says, well, did you play in the snow? Snow angels and snowman? And he looks at her like, she's crazy. No, I didn't play in the snow. And she's like, no, why? He goes, well, there's snow snakes in the snow, obviously. And she goes, no, there's not snow snakes. He's like, oh, there's totally snow snakes. And she goes, do they bite? (laughs) And so our friend from our church ends up in the principal's office because grandparents misled him and confused him in some way. Why do we do that? Why do we put twisted things in kids' minds and get them to believe weird, random stuff to kind of corral them and keep them in order? There's several other ways that we do that. We do that as parents, right? Here's one. When the ice cream truck plays music, that means they're out of ice cream, some of you tell your kids. (laughs) This one came from our Facebook. It was like hashtag Thursday, and uh, and one of you posted that, that either you do that to your poor child or your parents did that to you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the therapy and the cost of that that you've incurred. Here's another one. My mom told me there was a little man who lived in the, in the fridge that would turn on the light when the door opened. I believed her, and I was terrified of that little man. <laughs> Next one. My parents told me about Santa and how he'd eat me for Christmas if I wasn't good. <laughs> who says that? I mean, the jolly fella has a big belly, but that's going a little overboard. Uh, one more here. If you don't finish your dinner, Buzz Lightyear will die. <laughs> What kind of cold-blooded child torture is that? But here's the thing. I think that all of us have some misguided ideas in our head from childhood, from experience, whatever, about who God is. I think just like the Easter Bunny Christmas and some crazy stuff like that, we come up with, we grow up with some weird, twisted stuff in our minds about who God is. God, you might associate coming up as like the the God of unicorns, you know? It's like they're cute and nice and mythical and maybe real, not real, you know, like Bigfoot or something like that. Or maybe it's the genie in the bottle God, you know, he, he, he blesses me with good stuff when I ask him nice or when I have good behavior. 
Maybe you've come up, you know, you went to Sunday school and you have like flannel graph God. And then you just know like from the little images that you saw or how you colored growing up or things that you'd been exposed to, grandparents, things that they said. And whatever it is, you probably have some thoughts in your mind that are just not helpful about who God is. And maybe what's happened over time is as you've grown up, those thoughts or those experiences that you had about God, maybe they fell, they came face to face with the harsh realities of life, of pain, of divorce, of death, of discouragement. And you've been trying to figure out, okay, where does this fit? Because there's this God, this little kid God, or there's this, this Bible God that's mysterious, and then there's the real life that I'm up against. And I, I don't know what to do with this. And so maybe you do what a lot of people have done. And, and when things get confusing or they get big and, and mysterious, you start to distance yourself. And maybe you've begun to treat God a little bit like a, like a Facebook friend, like a social media buddy. And you kind of you let people know on your updates kind of what's going on in your life. But that, you know, that's good, you know. I, I shoot out a little prayer here and there or or I go to church periodically, and, and so God, I, I kind of check in with God. But don't let, them, don't let them post on my wall about how I should live. You know, like, let's, let's keep this thing at a cordial distance. And I think some of us treat God that way. Or maybe we'll get really desperate. We'll put out a plea out there in social media land, and we're just like, God, help me. I need help now. This is, this is crazy. I thought you were good. And so we have these ideas because of our experiences, because maybe we've learned to distance and maybe this God isn't safe or he's not what I thought he was. And maybe for some of you, whether it's today or in this series as we go, as we, as we start this series called The Outsider's Guide to Jesus, maybe for some of you, it's going to be like kind of a, a re-believing. Maybe it's going to be like a religious detox and you need to let go of some some other images of God and, and, and refine who God really is. And maybe for some of you, it's going to require a leap of faith because you're going to have to believe, maybe, maybe like a kid again, and it's going to require something of you in that. We're going to look at the book of Luke, and we're going to look at the book of Luke because Luke was an outsider. Luke didn't know Jesus. Luke wasn't Jewish. Luke was a doctor, and he did research on his own to explore who this God really was. He didn't come up with all the learnings of the Old Testament and things like that. He was starting fresh and figuring out for himself who this God was. And so we've called this the outsider's guide to Jesus because we're really looking at an outsider's perspective. And all, a lot of us at different times, maybe now, maybe in the past, have felt like outsiders, and we want to get a glimpse of who God says he is. So we're going to be doing that in Luke. But first, I want to start by giving us a little bit of context from the Old Testament. There's a story a famous story of Moses where Mo, you know, God appears to Moses in a burning bush and he says, Moses, I, I have something for you. I want you to go back into Egypt. I want you to free my people, right? This has been depicted by Charlton Heston and Val Kilmer and we've made movies about this. I think there's, you know, there's I'm sure there's gonna be more, right? Famous story from the Bible. Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go and you're gonna march out of there. But Moses, when he first got that news, he thought God was crazy. He was like, I don't even, what are you talking about? I'm me? He stutters, he stammers. He's like, I, I, I can't do this. First of all, you're talking to me out of a burning bush. 
That's crazy. And then you're telling me to go and like, like go face to face, toe to toe with like the, the most powerful person in history at this time? Like that, this isn't going to go well for me. And Moses had grown up in Pharaoh's kingdom. And the, and the Egyptians in that day, they, they believed in a lot of gods. They had God, the God of sun, the God of water, the God of this, the God of that. And so when Moses thought about kind of those gods, and, and he was thinking about, okay, what, what are people going to say when I say, you know, God has sent me? Uh, I, I need to know a name. Like, the, the, these people have, like, names for their gods. Like, like who are you? You're, you're not, like, the burning bush god. Like, who are you? Like, what, what am I supposed to tell them about this God who's sending me? And so that's where we pick it up in chapter 13, verse 14. God responds to Moses, and he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. To which Moses would reply, what the, are you talking about? Like, I, what, what, what are you, you are? The, which, okay, I appreciate like, that we, we covered, like, that you have a name, and you're, by, by giving me a name, there's like some extension of connection and intimacy here, but that is nuts. What, what, I, don't even, I don't even understand kind of what you're, what you're trying to say here. You're saying, what are you saying here? Is that you're the ever-ising one? You're the always God? You're the always has been, is, and always will be? The one who trumps everything else that thinks they are, but they must not be because you are I am? That's you? That's crazy. So names matter. And, and you, you know, he, God is kind of extending a hand of intimacy in a way and giving him a name because we have titles and we have names and, and all of us have different kind of titles or ways that we can refer to ourselves, right? I have, I have titles. Like I could, be, I could be son. I could be uh, grandson. I could be father now, husband, pastor, uh, tax-paying citizen, right? Uh, Huntingtonian, is that a thing? I'm a, a Huntington Beachian. I, 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 so, so I, I'm, a, I'm a citizen of Huntington Beach. But when I go home at night, Hillary doesn't open the door. And she doesn't open the door, first of all. But uh, when, when I walk in the door, she doesn't greet me and say, welcome home, fellow citizen. It's nice to have you. You know, she calls me by my name because there's knowing there. There's intimacy there. So she says, Caleb, sometimes Thor. And, uh, and so she just... <laughs> She said, uh, you know, she greets me in a, in a way that's, that's intimate and there's connection there, right? So God says, I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a real name so that we can, we can know each other here. But the name is I Am. And it's really big and really mysterious. And by the way, Moses, before you existed, I was. And when you show up at Pharaoh's door and you tell him, let my people go, no, have confidence in this that I am and I was before Pharaoh. And even though Pharaoh thinks he's a god, I am. And so by deductive reasoning, he is not. Parentheses, by the way, you are not because I am. I have always been, I always will be, and I am. Everything good, everything, all of life has come from me. I am that I am. I am. And he refers to himself next as the Lord. And so anytime you see in the Bible the 6,800 times that the, that the word the Lord is typed. You can know that the Hebrew word there is Yahweh. Yahweh. God is saying, I am the ever-ising one. You can refer to me as he is. My name is Yahweh. And so you have that connection. You have that intimacy. I'm going to give you a name. We're going to connect. We're going to know each other like that. And the mystery that I'm really stinking big. Now, in this, uh, in this next passage, 
God has led, through Moses, led the people out of captivity in Egypt. And he brings them to this mountain. And here we, here we pick it up. God's going to show himself to his people. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning. Notice there's thunder and lightning. With a thick cloud over the mountains, the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Interesting stuff. Thunder, lightning, thick cloud, trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp, all the Israelite people that have just come out of Egypt, now they're in the desert at the base of this mountain, they trembled and shook. They were panicking. They were scared. This must have been an incredible sight, an incredible moment. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it with fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. So here you have Yahweh, the ever-ising one, who just brought his people out of Egypt, now showing up for the first time to his people, sort of, because he doesn't have any kind of a form, but he shows up with thunder, lightning, trumpet blast, smoke, and the quaking of the whole stinking thing. And so he's there, and yet you can't see him. You just see the stuff that proves that he's there. Are you with me? And the thunder and the lightning and things like that are pretty intimidating things. I mean, uh, Hillary, you know, if you know my wife Hillary, she's a very funny human being. And, and she messes around when people are, like, giving her a hard time or, or trying to pretend like she isn't tough or something like that. She has this deal where she picks up one arm like this. She goes, don't mess with me because this is thunder. This is lightning. Don't get caught in a storm. You know, like that. Like, this, I don't know. I have her do it sometimes. But it's hilarious. But, but, but the point being that, that thunder and lightning are intimidating things. They're big, powerful things. And so when God shows up, he shows up in power. And the people are intimidated. And in fact, they're so intimidated that they say, Moses, how about you go? We're going to go back to camp. God, this Yahweh, this, the, the, the thunder and lightning guy, uh, that's too much for us. That's too mysterious. That's too big. That doesn't seem knowable. How about you just go and meet with this God? We'll be here watching football or doing something. You go up the mountain and you kind of uh, report back to us about what God would say. Because we're just, we're just going to be down here like being human. And that's crazy. And so Moses, that's, that's what he did. And it's interesting uh, because we say the same kinds of things today. We have priests so that people can go and confess their sins to a person instead of dealing with God. We say, pastor, pastor, pray for me so that we don't have to wonder if we're actually close and connected. Pastor, you know, give me some, give me some stuff. Give me a drop, drop, drop some things. I, I, I want to come and get my little fix and fill, not recognizing or choosing to ignore the fact that we can connect with this God all the time. So this is something that has been happening and continues to happen. And God, when God shows himself in these crazy ways, it's big, it's dramatic. And yet in that time, it was still formless. Look at Deuteronomy 4. Then the Lord, then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. You saw no form of any kind the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horab, which is Mount Sinai. It's just a mountain range where Mount Sinai is. When he spoke to you out of that fire, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt 
and make for yourselves an idol. So I have intentionally not given you a form. Next verse. Ten Commandments. God brings down, Moses brings down the Ten Commandments on a, on a you know, tablet thing. And the first one is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. The second commandment that God gives to his people, don't create a form for me. Any form that you could muster up is too small. He intentionally showed up in big ways invisibly so that they wouldn't have a form that they could worship. He intentionally was completely different than the religions of that day that worshipped little idols and worshipped sun and trees and stars and different things like that and tried to make the creation, the God, to be worshipped. And he said, there is no form that can contain me. Don't worship any smaller thing. Stick with Yahweh, the ever-ising one. I'll be your God. It's too big to comprehend, and yet it's personal enough that you can know my name. And so that's what the Old Testament was about, was this mysterious and yet personal God, and then he gives a name. And, and, and then we move to the New Testament. Are you tracking with me? Are you following? Because here's the turn, and I want you to get it. I, and, and I know that it's distracting that my forehead is burnt. I'm, I'm aware of that. I was out yesterday at the beach, and, um, and I was just going down to check in on the volleyball tournament, and then I saw some friends. I ended up like standing in the same place for three hours watching volleyball, and I came home, and my forehead was all burnt. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, I have more forehead than I used to, and I need to remember that. And, and so forgive me. But here's where it gets good. We transition from this big, confusing, big, you know, God, and then all of a sudden we transition to the New Testament, and thing, everything changes. And so there's 400 years of silence, and then an angel appears. And an angel comes, and he appears to this 13-year-old girl. Her name is Mary. And he says, hey, you're pregnant. And she's like, you're crazy. Uh, I don't know what kind of angel you are or how long you've been here, but I've never had sex before. So uh, that would be a real interesting uh, phenomenon. And, she, and he goes, no, 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 you're actually pregnant. And you're pregnant with God's son, that he has impregnated you and you are going to carry the, the son of man, the son of God, who's come into the world to save the world. And so try telling that as a 13-year-old to your fiancé who you have not slept with and the wedding day is planned and it's coming and uh, you have to explain this to 16-year-old Joseph. And he handles it like a gentleman, but he's still, I mean, he's done. He's like, we can't, you know, I'm going to keep this quiet, but I'm not going to marry you. This is crazy. Um, I want to believe you, but I don't. Uh, and so this same angel appears then to Joseph. And here's what he says. No, 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 she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, the interesting thing about this is that the angel was speaking to Jewish people. So he was speaking in Hebrew, not English. We read English and this says Jesus. When he said Jesus, he said Yeshua. And Yeshua literally means Yahweh saves. So it's the name Yahweh 
this memorial name that God has had through generations and generations of the Old Testament. And then it's this God who's become even more personal. It's the God, it's the Yahweh who saves, and his name will be Yeshua or Jesus. And so this God that for ages and generations and generations was this mysterious, big thunder and lightning and smoke and rattling of mountains, God named Yahweh, the ever ising one, now has flesh and blood and has that same name, Yahweh saves. He's extending the story. He's making it more clear. He's saying, the story that I've been telling is taking on, if there's a new chapter, are you ready for it? I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and now I'm the God who saves. So then this Jesus grows up, and he does crazy things. He does miracles. He heals the blind. All of a sudden, they can see. He heals the lame. All of a sudden, they can walk. He raises people from the dead. Where there's no food, he he makes food. He just does these incredible things, but he also likes to party. He hangs out with the outsiders. The religious people think he drinks a little bit too much. They don't understand why he's always playing with people on the outside of religion and church. And they're offended that this is the form that God has taken, and they reject him as God because in their minds, their form of God is different. They have these preconceived ideas from their studies, their religious studies, and they in some way have made forms in their mind for God. So when God actually shows up, they miss him. And not only do they miss him, they push him to be killed because he is disrupting their way of being. He is disrupting their way of worshiping and their lifestyle by inviting in the outsider and giving everybody access to God. And they were confused by that and it didn't make sense based on their previous beliefs and assumptions. Jesus was bad for business. Jesus, this, this, this God in the flesh was confusing and they didn't get it. Look at uh, Colossians 1. This Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. So the mysterious God that's been invisible and gave us a name so that we could know one, but still mysterious. Now he's here. He is the visible image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So he is the God from the beginning. He will be the God in the future, and he's the God now. And you can know him by the name Jesus. And here he is, and look at what he's doing. Is that offensive to you? Sorry, that's God. The one who your ancestors and you have been worshiping for all these years. This is what he actually looks like. This is Yahweh saves. Now here's the deal. Here's a a life principle that I think applies to every facet of life. Don't start with what you don't know. Start with what you do know. And you'll find, whether it's in business or family or different things, and you have to make a, a difficult decision or you come upon something, you can get paralyzed if you just worry about all the mystery and all that you don't know in this decision. But if you start with what you do know, you can build on that, and clarity comes. So some of us have abandoned the idea of God or kept him at a, at a distance because of the things that have happened in our life that have been mysterious, that we don't know. But... Don't start with what you don't know. Start with what you do know. That this God took on the form of skin and a man. 
that this God has a name, and his name is Jesus. And he is the visible image of the invisible God. That's who God is. If you want to know God, you start by looking at Jesus. And then look at the rest of Scripture and life through that lens. You start there. Look at Hebrews chapter 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at times and in various ways. But in these last days, in these days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe, by the way. The, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. If you're confused about things that you heard when you were growing up, you look at Jesus. If you're, if you're in pain over things that you have suffered or gone through and you felt like Josh, that God, Yeshua, that God didn't show up, you look at Jesus. You start there. Now, this God, this Jesus, is not just the American God. He's not just the white God, the black God, the Hispanic God. He's the ever-ising God. He always has been, he always will be, and he is. This is the God that we serve. And I wanted to help paint that picture a little bit by inviting up our friend Pastor Daniel, who serves this God and points people to this same God in Mexico. And he's one of our partners. We work with him. Many of you have worked with him or gone down on a trip or we support him and his ministry as a church. He is an incredible example to me of a pastor and such a humble man who serves God so faithfully. And I wanted you to meet Pastor Daniel this morning and have him share just a minute. Would you welcome Pastor Daniel? God bless you all. So, Pastor Daniel, can you just tell us uh, a little bit of your story, kind of how you got to where you are in Mexico and, and how that journey happened, you know, what, what God did to bring you there? Well, um, about 25 years ago, I got my green card and started working in San Diego. And um, finally, my wife was able to get a green card. My daughter was born in the States. My son, Turi, also got his green card. So... Everything was, we were getting settled in San Diego, and finally everything is falling into place when God tells me, you got to go back to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> we ended up in the community of El Nino, which is named after the El Nino, after the El Nino storms about 15 years ago. And uh, a lot of people were misplaced and ended up in that community, which is one of the poorest communities in Tijuana. So you're, you, you and your family are... In San Diego, you went through all the hoops and the whole process, got the green cards, you're there, you're, you, you have jobs, you're, you're plugged into a church, and then God says, I want you to go back, and I want you to do ministry back there. What was that journey like? How did you, how, how you kind of get there with God on that? Well, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy because we're trying to, everybody is trying to get across the border to get a job and get settled. And uh, there's people lining up every morning to get across the border to work, and we're going south. <laughs> so and we couldn't really understand. It just uh, we, we didn't even try. We just uh, obeyed God in what he was calling us to do. Yeah. Told my family we need to go back and live in Mexico, uh, in Tijuana, and a totally different community. There was no running water, no, no sewage system. Yeah. 
no electrical, but that's where God called us, and we started working there in the community, and just started feeding kids, we started sponsoring kids, and just connecting with American churches that would help us do that, and right now we're feeding over 200 kids in two different communities every day, and, and we are planting churches as well. Uh, God gave me this vision to plant 50 churches, and uh, I said, how am I going to do it? Um, but I said, we, we just have, I have to trust you on this one. <laughs> and uh, seven years later, after we started planting churches, uh, we have 20 churches now. 20 churches now in seven years. And, and so that means 20 pastors, right, that are leading those churches that you, that you mentor and you care for. And, and I've met some of these pastors, and they're awesome, amazing men. And, uh, and most of them, all of them maybe, are, are bivocational in that they have full-time other jobs, and they go and lead these churches in their neighborhoods. Is that right? Yes. They work, uh, some of them work in construction, some of them work in, uh, in factories. Uh, so we have these guys working 50 to 60 hours every week and riding, some of them riding the bus to get to work and riding it back. So that means about 12 hours out of the house. And then on the free time that they used to have, now they're pastoring churches and uh, they're, they're working so hard. And yeah, it's just full time for them. So one of them told us, told us the other day, you know, I asked him, when was the last time between your work and the church that you had a day off? And they said, I can remember. Yeah, so um, we, given that we partner with these guys and we want them to, to, uh, to be well, one of the things that we are doing is we are helping Daniel, Pastor Daniel and the team build a little retreat house, right? And so, so that all these pastors, and there will be more of them, uh, many of their homes are like literally attached to the church where everybody meets. Daniel's is. And so when we went and we visited... Um, we, we saw, we stayed with them in the home that's attached to the church. And so they're on like 24 seven. And so for pastor Daniel and Yoli and the family and, uh, and these other pastors, uh, give us a little glimpse of the vision of what just this little retreat home and how it, how it's come to be. Yeah. We, my wife and I, we bought a property in Rosarito about 20, 20 years ago that, uh, we, didn't, we just wanted to invest. We were both working in San Diego. We were both had jobs. So let's invest some of the money. And we didn't know where God was going to take us. Sometimes my wife said, let's just sell it, get rid of it, use the money for something else. But God had other plans. And when we visited the retreat house, we were, just like I said, never having a day off. Uh, the Mariners, Pastor Kenton told, told us, you have to go to the ministry house and spend a week there. So my wife and I went there, and uh, that just got the idea that we needed a place to provide a place like that for the pastors. And since we've had this property for over 20 years, we decided to start a ministry house with just a little bit of money, and we knew it was a big adventure, a faith adventure, uh, and we were going to need a lot of support. But we started, and we got the foundation done, and we got we got maybe half of the house is done already. So when on November 2nd, you guys are coming down, and, and hopefully a lot of you are coming down and supporting this and just to keep the pastors going. You know, there's no way these guys, even though they're working so much and they're investing, some of the money they make at work, they invest back in the church. So it's not like they're making money from the church, especially when they're new churches that are growing and uh, so 
we're trying to, there's no way these guys are going to spend a, a weekend in Rosarito or Ensenada and just going away. Uh, they have no money to do it. Uh, we even had one of our pastors that, whose daughter passed away, uh, and uh, we were just looking for ways to support him, and we ended up taking him over, over to Tecate to a ranch, uh, but we had to pay and all that, so uh, it was great that we were able to help him, but there was just, there's just no way these guys can get away from, just get away from, from all the work and all the stuff that goes on. Yeah. So even though they love the Lord and they love the church, and that's why they're doing this, but they don't even know that they need to get this, this rest as well. Yeah, yeah. So we're, t we're talking about people who, who so believe and have, their, have had their lives transformed by this Jesus, by this God, that they are dedicating their life to helping others know God. And they are also working, the guy I met was working 50 hours a week at Samsung in, in one of their factories and helping to lead uh, a church. And so all 20 are in that kind of a boat. And so we support Pastor Daniel and their ministry financially. Uh, we also send groups down once a month. And so if you want to be a part of that, uh, you sure can be. You, you give to our church and we support them. But you can also go on this trip and, uh, and on November 2nd and be a part of helping build this little retreat for all these pastors that don't otherwise get any time to rest. So we are grateful. And we just want to pray for Pastor Daniel while he's here, and we have the privilege of having him with us. So if you, if you would, just extend a hand. It just means I agree, I'm in with you. I'm, you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable. This is just one of the things that we do. We just want to pray for Pastor Daniel and Yoli and the family. God, we are grateful for your servant, Daniel, and we are grateful for how you are already using him. I am grateful for his friendship. I am grateful for the example that he is in my life and to all the pastors that are under him in Mexico. And I pray that you would continue to bless him. I pray that you would continue to bless Yoli and their family and these pastors, that you would uh, guard them from exhaustion and burnout, that you would uh, grant them health and uh, passion, and that you would help them to continue on this mission that you have called them to. And we pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. This God is a big God. He's a Korean God. He's a Mexican God. He's an American God. He's a God who always has been. He's a God who always will be. He's the God who is. He's the God that's a source of every good thing. He's the God who's there when you don't feel him. He's the God that's mysterious, but he's the God that's close, and he's the God who gives us the name Jesus, who came to this earth and lived and died for us, that Yahweh would save us. And we can get to know this God through Jesus. And so I want to finish where we started, and that's just with a little vision of what's coming in the book of Luke. Look at the first few verses of Luke. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, this crazy life that Jesus lived, just as they were handed down to those who were, who were first eyewitnesses and servants of the word, who saw and knew Jesus. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Luke was an outsider. Luke didn't know Jesus. Luke wasn't even Jewish. He didn't grow up learning the Bible stories. He was a doctor. But he was so convinced and had his life so transformed that he wanted to do the research himself. 
He wanted to seek out for himself, who is this God really? It's, it's thought that maybe Theophilus was a very wealthy man who under, underwrote his adventure. And so Luke went from town to town, place to place, interviewing people who had been eyewitnesses and people who had heard from eyewitnesses, and he took down his own account. And so when we look at Luke, we see the account of someone who was an outsider, who didn't walk with them, who wasn't Jewish, who maybe felt like you and I have felt as we try to get a glimpse of this God, who has been mysterious, but now is knowable in the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's our hope and my hope that this series, that these next weeks will just illuminate a little bit more who this God is through the person of Jesus. You don't need more religion. You don't even actually need more information. You just need more Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at. And so we pray, God, in Jesus' name, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, that you would show up in the normalcy of our lives and that we would see you, that you would bring clarity from mystery, that you would bring hope when there's hurt, and that you would just give us eyes to see your goodness, who you are, that you are accessible, that you are knowable. We want to know you, God. We want to know you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.